chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. There was a, a post going around on Facebook, and I don't, I don't do a whole lot on Facebook, but there was a post going around on Facebook a couple years ago that really stuck out to me. Um, and I just, I remembered it because it, it said, it, it said this, it said, everyone who knows me knows that I love blank. And I think it was, it was meant to be like a, a playful thing rather than something that was life evaluating. I don't know if I'd ever, I don't know if I could put that post out there and, and have people say what they think about me like that. But um, I think that's exactly what it is. I think that's a very life evaluating question. Um, if you were to throw that question out there to the world, what would they put in the blank? Everyone who knows me knows that I love money. Everybody who knows me knows that I love toys. Everybody who knows me knows that I love my job. What? What would they put in that blank? I have a checklist of things that I uh, just, just um, it's a, I print off a list every, every, every week, every Monday, so that I have a list of everything that I need to do for the week, and then as things get added to it, I just I write it on the bottom of that list. I have things that are priorities, things that I, I know that I have to get done that are at the top of that list, and things that I, I mean, you know, Sunday morning message is one of those things. I can't just, well, I'll do that later, right? And I'll do it on Monday. It's a little too late by that point, right? Uh, but, but there are things that are, that are more important than other things, things that, that take priority over those other things when I make a list. And so I have to make sure that things on that list are in order of importance so that I make sure I do the most important things first and don't miss those. There are some things that, well, if I get to them, that's great, but if I don't, it's not the end of the world. I can maybe do that next week or even the week after, but the priorities I need to get to. I need to make sure that I have those done. Otherwise, everything would get out of whack, and the, the least important tasks would get done first, and the most important things would, would not be touched. And we have to be on guard to make sure that our lives are in the right order of priority, that we're doing the things and taking care of the things that are the most important. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Down in verse number 33, a very familiar verse to us. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things, all these things shall be added unto you. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. I've got, got a decent number of verses that I want, to, want you to look at with me this morning. Because I want to try to get this point across to you when it comes to this idea. Everyone who knows me knows that I love what? Everyone who knows me knows that I love fill in the blank. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. When we get too involved in the world or too far away from God in our relationship with him, then things really get messed up. Everything gets all out of whack. 
Things are in, in order of, 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 of not, not in the order of priority, not in the order of importance. And we start to put an emphasis on the things that really don't matter, and we start to lose the emphasis on the things that really do. That's when, when things start to fall, fall apart, and most importantly uh, is our spiritual life. I want to ask you a lot of questions this morning, and you're the only one that knows the answer to those questions. But what will you say? Could be put in that blank. Everyone who knows me knows that I love what? I want that to be a life-evaluating question for you this morning. I want you to say, this is not just what I would like people to say about me. This is not just what I would like to say about myself, but what would people really put in that blank? In some ways, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to throw that out there on Facebook and let people tell you exactly what your priorities are. Because everybody that looks at you and knows your life is going to know what your priority is on. And that might be something that would be really life-evaluating for you. But I want you to do that for yourself this morning. I want, the, I want the Word of God to be that evaluation tool for you. Everyone who knows me knows that I love blank. What would I like for people to say about me in answer to that question? I want to give you a list of three priorities that we ought to have in our lives that will help us to make that blank be what it ought to be. Let's pray, and we'll look at these things this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. I do thank you for the time that we have together here this morning. I pray that it would be profitable. I pray that as we look at the Word of God, that it would be a mirror for us, and that we can see exactly who we really are, and then make the changes that are necessary to reflect exactly what the Bible has for us to be, and what you have for us to be. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn over to Matthew 22. Because I think, first of all, number one, we should love the Lord first and foremost. If God is not first in our life, then nothing else can be in the right place. And I know that's a very easy thing to say, God first. Everybody would say, if I was to ask you, what do you have first in your life? Oh, God's first. Everybody would say that. But Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 34 says this. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master... Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. We spent some time talking about that last week. But I'll tell you this, the foundation of loving God is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Knowing Jesus Christ has provided a home in heaven for you. Knowing that Jesus Christ has provided a payment for your sin. And until you get that sin paid for, you cannot love God first. You cannot love, love God foremost. You cannot love God best if you don't even know him as your Savior. If God is not even your Father, then you are putting other people and other things in the place where he belongs. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What he's asking the question there is, what's more important than your soul? What's more important than knowing your eternal destiny? What's more important than knowing that you have that taken care of? You can gain the entire world. You can rack up all of the money in the world. I, just, I read yesterday that Elon Musk now has $230 billion. That's his net worth. And that's more than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. And Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, who is the, the founder of Amazon, are going back and forth as to who is the richest man. Some, one day it's Musk, one day it's Bezos. They're back and forth. $230 billion. What do you do with that kind of money? 
You know, I, I, I just, I, I saw a story that, that, that um, uh, Bill Gates' his daughter was getting married, and she was spending $2 million on the wedding. And I mentioned that to my wife, and she made a good point. She said, I mean, when you got billions, $2 million might as well be a couple hundred bucks, you know? I mean, at $2 million, they're probably scaling down to spend only $2 million, or $2 million you know? But what do you do with $230 billion? I don't even know where you start. You could do anything you want to. I guess you just start flying people back and forth to space, right? And that's what they're doing now. Hey, let's build a rocket. Send people up to space for 10 minutes and bring them back down, you know? That's what they're doing with it. But it doesn't matter if you got 230 billion, 230 trillion, 230 quintillion. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you lose your soul, it counts for absolutely nothing. Because I can promise you this. If Elon Musk or any of these other guys who have billions and billions of dollars to their name get sick and are on the verge of death, they would give every single penny of that if they could buy another five years for their life. You can't. It doesn't buy the things that matter. It proves that money is not the most important thing. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There are a lot of people who want to talk about God. A lot of people who, who you know, say that they believe in Jesus and even that they died, that, that Jesus died on the cross. But they don't believe that Jesus Christ can be their own personal Savior. They've never had their sins forgiven at the foot of the cross. Not until you know him personally. Not until Jesus Christ is your own personal Savior will you be able to put him in the place that he belongs in your life. But for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I want, you, I want to ask you a few questions to see if he really is first place in your life. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because I want to ask you very simply this question. Do you love him? Do you love him? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5, was actually pretty much what Matthew 22 is based off of. And other passages in the New Testament is based off of this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Oh, I know everyone would say that they do. Do you love him? Yeah, I love him. I love him. Of course I love him. But do you really love him? Have you asked, how do I know if I really love him? We talked about this last week. John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I'm telling you to do. Follow the word of God. Don't change the word of God to match your doctrine and your philosophy. Change your doctrine and your philosophy to match the word of God. And if you're not doing that, then you don't love him the way that you say you love him. One of the marks of love is giving, right? You can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And when it comes to loving God the way that we should love God, you, you love him by giving. And I'm not just talking about money. Well, that's one way that we can do it. We can give to God and we should be giving to the work of God. But do you give your time? Do you give yourself? We have a whole lot more than money that we can give to the Lord to prove that we love him. Oh, it's so easy to write a check, drop it in the offering plate, and, and just let it go. Right? It's very easy, very easy to let the money go. But when it comes to giving my time, well, that's, that, now, now that's what you're talking about, something that's valuable. Or giving myself. I can't give myself to the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, what? He wants me to go to the mission field? What? He wants me to go into the ministry? What? He wants me to do this? Well, money is one thing, but myself is something completely different. Do you love him? Do you love him? Because there's one way that you prove it, and that's by giving. I want to ask you another question. Do you serve him? Does God know that you're his servant, or do you have to remind him from time to time because he never sees you show up to serve him anywhere? 
Are you doing something for the cause of Jesus Christ? That's what I'm talking about by giving, showing that you love him, right? Opportunity to, to go out and knock on doors and pass out tracts and tell people about Jesus Christ. That's how you serve him. Opportunity to clean the building. That's how you serve him. Opportunity to, to work in some of the different ministries. That's how you serve him. Well, I serve God by just being a Christian every single day. No, that's expected out of you. That's not serving God, right? What kind of Christian would you be if you didn't act like a Christian? I don't even know if you could call yourself a Christian if you didn't act like one, right? Because a Christian ought to act like a Christian. That's just being a Christian, right? Uh, a man who is a man is just going to act like a man. You don't get a special reward for acting like a man, right? Same thing with a lady. They don't give you a reward for acting like a lady. You're a lady. That's how you should be, right? Same thing with a Christian. You're a Christian. That's how you should be. What we do above and beyond that is our way of serving God. Do you serve him? Do you serve him? Because you prove that you love him by the way that you serve him. Now, let me give you a word of caution with that as well. Don't, don't get so busy in the work of the Lord that you forget your relationship with him. Because we can do that very often. And I, I think it's more, more, most prevalent among pastors because it's, it's preparing a Sunday school lesson and a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. And you get so busy doing things in the work of the Lord that you forget your relationship with him. And that's very easy for us to do too. Well, I know I should, I should read my Bible, but I've, I've got to get this ready. I've got to do that. I've got to go out and do this. I've got to go out and do that. And sometimes we get so busy in the work of the Lord that we forget our relationship with him. And that's the most important. That's why I said, do you love him? Your relationship with him is first and foremost, but the way that you show him that you love him is by serving him. Let me ask you another question. Do you witness for him? Turn over to Philippians chapter one. Do you witness for him? Because the way that you serve him is by witnessing for him, and the way that you love him is by serving so the way that you love him is by witnessing for him, telling other people about Jesus Christ, sharing the message of the gospel. I've said this many, many times. If all God wanted us to do on this earth was to get saved so that we could go to heaven, then he would take us out the moment we got saved. He has a job for us to do after we get saved, and that's to take as many people with us as we possibly can. When you stand before God, is there going to be a giant crowd around you of people that you brought there with you, or are you going to be standing there by yourself? watching all of those people that you had an opportunity to witness to at the great white throne judgment, having God say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. I never knew you. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. And could you imagine, can you imagine the wails and the screams as they're falling into hell saying, you knew and you didn't tell me. You knew. You had the truth and you didn't tell me. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That was the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, if it means that I have to die for the cause of Christ, then so be it. If it means that I get to live for the cause of Christ, then so be it. I want to live, but if it means I got to die, I'll do it. I don't want to be ashamed of anything. I want to speak with boldness so that Christ can be magnified in my body. John Huss was a bohemian reformer. He was a man that believed in the, in the Bible and in the infallibility of the word of God. And that was his supreme authority in everything that he did. He died at the stake for that belief in Constance, Germany on his 42nd birthday. And they gave him one more opportunity to denounce his Christianity and denounce the word of God. And John Huss's last words as he was dying at the stake were this. What I taught with my lips, 
I seal with my blood. What I talk with my lips, I seal with my blood. There's a whole lot of people that, that do a whole lot of talking and very little doing. Oh, I love God. Oh, yeah, I do. I want to serve him. I want to live for him. I want, to, I want him to be happy with me. I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But you're not going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you don't serve. A servant is somebody who serves. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I love God. I, I read my Bible once or twice a week. That's not serving him. How do you think you're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you're not serving him? And we, we're so good at talking the right talk, and for the most part, we're so bad at living the right life. Do we have a testimony? We have a testimony to uphold to a lost and dying world. Robert, Lightfoot, uh, Robert Leitner is a commentator, and he said this. Paul's concern was not what would happen to him, but what testimony would be left for his Lord. Released from prison would allow him to continue preaching Christ, but martyrdom would also advance the cause of Christ. There's a story about 40 martyrs of Sebast. And these 40 soldiers, all Christians, were member of the 12th Roman Legion. It was a famed uh, legion of Rome's imperial army. And one day, the captain told them that Emperor Licinius had sent out an edict that all soldiers were supposed to offer a sacrifice to a pagan god. And those 40 soldiers told their captain, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. That captain went back and told the emperor that those 40 soldiers were not going to be part of the group that was offering sacrifices to the pagan god. And so the emperor sent an edict back to this captain, and it was in the midwinter of A.D. 320. The captain marched them out onto a frozen lake and stripped them of their clothes and said that they would either die or renounce Christ. You're either going to die out in the middle of that frozen lake or you can walk back and we'll bring you into the warmth of the shelter that we have set up. You can have your clothes back. You can have your armor back. You can have your title back in the army. But you're either going to die here or you're going to renounce Christ. And all through the night, those soldiers huddled together, trying to stave off the freezing temperatures. And one by one, they were, they were singing together as they were huddling and trying to keep warm. And one by one, the voices grew silent. And one by one, those soldiers froze to death on that lake. And by the next morning, there was one soldier who was left. One soldier who was left out in the middle of that lake. 39 other bodies lay dead around him. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And so he slowly but surely drug his feet across that frozen ice back to the shore. And he renounced Jesus Christ as his Savior. And the guard, one of the officers of the guard had been watching all of this. He was stationed there to watch these soldiers all night. And unknown to all the rest of those guards that were there with him, he had come to be a believer in Jesus Christ because he watched those soldiers. And he watched how they would not renounce Christ. And he watched how their faith stood the test. And as that one soldier inched his way back over to the shoreline. Of course, there was a group of soldiers that were over there waiting to wrap blankets around him and get him into the warmth of that shelter. But when he saw that last man break rank, he walked down under the ice, and he threw off his clothes, and he confessed 
Jesus Christ and confessed that he was also a Christian. And when the sun rose the next morning, there were 40 bodies laying out there on the ice because they would not renounce Jesus Christ. They had a testimony to uphold. And even if it meant Christ should be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, they were willing to go to death for the cause of Jesus Christ. They would not renounce the one that they had come to represent. We can prove our love for God by standing up for him and by being a bold witness for him. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And when we are willing to come to the point where we even will lay down our lives for the cause of Jesus Christ, that's when we've gotten to the point where we do prove our love for the cause of Jesus Christ. If someone were to ask about your life, would they say, now there's a man, there's a woman who loves his Lord. Secondly, I want to see this. And turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. We should love our family. Well, you might be asking, how can we put our family second? Isn't, isn't our family the most important thing that we have that, that God has given us? Isn't it the most important thing in my life? It is, but in order to love our family the way that we should love our family, then a love for God has to be first. The, the more we love God and the more our relationship with God is right, the more we're going to love our wives, the more we're going to love our children, the more we're going to love our families. For example, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it wouldn't make sense for me to put my child ahead of God. If I put my child ahead of God, then that would be my God. That would be the thing that's the most important to me in my life. And I can't love my child right if I don't love God right. I can't love my wife right if I don't love God right. The more you love God and the, and the better your relationship with him is, the more your relationship is going to be right with everyone else, not just your family, but, even, but most importantly, your family. God would have to be first in everything I do so that out of an overflow of my relationship with God, it passes down to my relationship with my wife and with my children and so on. Picture a triangle, and I use this if I'm ever talking to somebody about, uh, about marriage, and, and it's, it's so important that our, our marriage is in the right place. Our marriage is, is very important. Our marriage is, is one of the most important and precious things that we have. But you know what happens so often is, is we put our kids first above our marriage, and then when the kids are growing and out of the house, the, the, the parents don't even know who each other are anymore. And that's why, you know, after 25 or 30 years of marriage, people get divorced, your kids are important, but your marriage is more important than that. And your relationship with God is more important than your marriage. Because your, your, your relationship with your kids can't be right unless your relationship with your wife or your husband is right. And your relationship with God has to be right in order for your relationship with your spouse to be right. And if you picture a triangle with God at the top of that triangle and a husband and wife at the bottom of that triangle, the closer you get to God, the closer you're also going to get to each other. That's the way our relationship works, and that's why it's so important that our relationship with God be right first. But husbands ought to love their wives. Wives ought to respect and honor and reverence their husbands. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's important. It's an important family dynamic. It does not mean that the husband is more important. It does not mean that the husband is smarter. It does not mean necessarily that the husband is wiser or has all the answers or anything like that. But this is God's design for the family. The husband is the head of the home. Something that has two heads is not better. It's grotesque, right? 
The husband is the head of the home, just like Christ is the head of the church. Would we try to put ourselves above Christ? We shouldn't, and most of us wouldn't. But so many wives want to run the home. Well, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he doesn't, but God didn't put you in that position. Let him run it without knowing what he's doing, right? He's the one that's going to answer to God for what happens in his family. I'm the one that's going to answer to God for what happens in this church. That's the way God designed it. Wives have to be in submission to their husbands. And it takes just as much of the husband being the man of the home as it does the wife submitting to the husband as being the man of the home. It, it's, it's work on both sides. Because, you know, the husband doesn't ever want to tell his wife, no, you're not doing that, right? But sometimes you have to. You're the head of the home. Be the man of the home. And wives, when the husband says you're not doing that, then don't do it. You're not the head. He's the head. But it goes both ways. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Because you know what happens? When a husband loves his wife the way that Christ loved the church, and when a husband loves his wife the way that he loves himself, and he nourishes, nourishes and cherishes himself, that wife is going to respond to that. And when the husband is the leader of the home, the wife is going to say gladly, be the leader. You love me. You cherish me. I don't want that leadership position. It's yours. You have it. You love me the way that Christ loved the church. You love me the way that you love yourself. How can I do anything but give you that leadership role? It works both ways. The husband has to love his wife, and he has to be the leader of the home. The wife has to know that she's cherished, and she has to give that leadership over to her husband. Because it's very easy for a wife to take that leadership role. A wife could. There's a lot of capable women. There's a lot of capable women out there doing a lot of capable things. You have to give that position to your husband. The husband has to take that position and maintain it, but he also has the responsibility to love his wife, to make her want to give him that position. But whether he does it or not, it's the wife's responsibility to submit. It's the husband's responsibility to love. Because there's a lot of wives who won't submit to their husbands. Well, she won't submit, so I don't have to love her. I don't have to cherish her. No, you love her and cherish her whether she submits or not. You submit whether he loves and cherishes you or not. But God designed it perfectly. If everybody is fulfilling their role in the marriage, it's going to work perfectly. And they'll have great harmony. But the way that we prove our love for God is the same way that we prove our love for our family. We prove that we love our family by giving. We prove that we love our family by serving. We prove that we love our family by, by showing them. And by the way, they ought to know that you love them. They'll never know if we never tell them or show them. A wife asked her husband after some years, she said, Honey, we've been married for 10 years, and you never tell me that you love me. I mean, you do things for me. You, 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 you take care of me. You, you provide a, a good living for us. we got a, a nice house, a nice car. I mean, I know that you love me, but you never tell me that you love me. And he told his wife, he said, I told you on the day that we were married that I love you, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. It's a humorous story, but that's not enough. Your wife needs to hear that you love her. Your husband needs to hear that you love him. Your kids need to hear that you love them. Don't just assume that they know that because you take care of them. Don't just assume that you know that because you do things for them every once in a while above what you're expected to do. Tell your parents you love them if you still have the opportunity to do that. Amen. There's a lot of people that don't have parents in here or who are missing a, a, a mom or a dad. 
You can't go tell them you love them. You have them here, tell them you love them. Amen. It's so important to be able to do that. And when they're gone, you can't go back and say, oh, I love you. I can't tell you how much I love you. Oh, it's too late then. Same thing with a husband or a wife or a child. Right? You don't ever expect to lose a husband or a wife, but it happens. You don't ever, ever expect to lose a child, but it happens. And oh, I wish I could just tell them one more time that I love them. Then do it now. Do it now. Tell them that you love them. So that by the time they pass away, you can say, well, I'll tell you one thing. They knew that I loved them. Not just because I did stuff for them every once in a while, because I told them all the time. I love them. I love you. There's someone were to ask about your life. Well, they say, no, there's a man. There's a woman who loves her family. The last thing is this. And turn over to Acts chapter 20. We should love our church. The church is so very close to the heart of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for the church. Acts chapter 20. And verse number 28 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. We were just in Ephesians chapter 5. You don't have to turn back over there, but in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. If it was important enough for Jesus Christ to give his life for, don't you think it's important enough for us to be a part of it? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day that's approaching is the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be long before he's here. At least the way the world's going right now, that's the way that it looks. And I'll tell you this, the coming of Jesus Christ is closer today than it was yesterday, right? No matter when he comes back, it's closer today than it was yesterday. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Not forsaking means to be at church when you have the opportunity. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm try trying to stress to you the, the importance that you have to place on being in the house of God, being involved in what's going on at church. If you want to grow in your relationship with him, well, you might say that you love your church and maybe there's a whole lot of people that would not disagree with you. But if we take the idea, you know, we could say that someone loves sports when you can't pull them away from the television, right? Somebody who loves basketball is going to be out on the basketball court all the time playing basketball. You got to pull them out of the gym, right? Somebody who loves football, you, you're never going to find them out there, you know, not, not, uh, not, not watching their team. They're not going to miss a single down of that football game, right? They love baseball. They're not going to miss a single out of their team playing. That's when you can say that somebody loves sports. That's when you can say that somebody loves that game or, or, or put anything in the blank, you know? You, they love it when you can't pull them away from it, right? The same could only be said about your love of the church if you follow it in the same way, when you can't get enough of it, when you don't want to miss a minute of the singing and the preaching and the fellowship, and whatever's going on at church. I want to be there. I want to be a part of it. When you do everything you can to memorize and read the Bible, you don't want to miss a word of what God has to tell you. That's how you know you love the church, right? I don't expect you to get up and hoop and holler and all this. I don't want you to do that. The Bible says in church everything ought to be done decently and in order. But you see how people get so wound up at these, at these 
baseball games and these football games and just the, the crazy fans that are there just, anytime the, the camera pans on them, and one of them, ah, right? I'm excited to be here. I'm dressed up in face paint and everything else, right? Why don't we get that excited about church? Why don't we get the same, and that's what I'm saying, we're not going to, you know, the, the live stream pans over to you and you're saying, ah, I love the sermon, it's great, right? I'm not saying that you ought to do that, but, but in your own heart and mind, you ought to be excited about church, right? You got a round of golf coming up that you, that you know you're going to play in three or four days and you're like, oh, I can't wait for that day to get here, I can't wait for that day to get here, I want to go play golf. Or I'm going to this football game, I can't wait for that day to get here. Man, it's going to be exciting, I've never been to one of these games before, I can't wait to go, right? Oh, it's going to be a good game, I can't wait to be there. Why don't we feel the same way about church? Man, I'm looking forward to what God has for me. Man, it's only Thursday. I can't wait for Sunday to get here. Right? Why don't we feel that way about it? I'll tell you why. It's because we don't love it the way that Christ loved it and gave himself for it. If we loved the church the way Christ loved the church, we'd be involved. We'd be here. We'd be excited about it. We'd be looking forward to Sunday. We'd be looking forward to every opportunity we have to be at church and to be involved in those things should love the people in our church the same way. We ought to be loyal to the pastor if he's following the word of God. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that would be appropriate to put in the list of priorities. But those things are things that ought to be first in our lives. Everything else should just fall in line behind that. Making money is necessary, but it's not important. Right? Building a career might be necessary, but it's not important. Entertainment is necessary at times. It's not important. None of these things should take the place of the three at the top of the list. An umpire by the name of Babe Pinelli. That'll tell you how old this story is. When's the last time you heard an, em uh, an emperor? An umpire with the name of Babe, right? But he actually was an umpire during the time when Babe Ruth and a lot of these other guys were playing sports. And this umpire called Babe Ruth out on strikes. Strike three. The crowd booed. I mean, it was obviously Yankee Stadium, and they, they were completely, obviously, disapproving of this call that this umpire made. And Babe Ruth turned to that umpire, and he said, listen to that. There's 40,000 people who disagree with that last call you just made. That was a ball. And they saw, you know, the people in the crowd, the, the, the people in the dugout saw him saying something to the umpire, and so they suspected that the umpire was going to erupt in anger and eject him out of the game. But Babe Pinelli turned to Babe Ruth, and he said, maybe so, Babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. <laughs> and that's exactly what it ought to be when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that people say are important. Oh, you got to get a good job. You got to get a good education. Got to have. Got to make. Got to make good money. You got to do this. Got to do that. And on a lot of things that they put the importance on. But if we look throughout the Bible, the Bible tells me, take no thought for your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to put on. Those things are not important. God takes care of the lilies. God takes care of the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have to make a conscious effort. Because one day, the only opinion that matters is the opinion of the judge that we're going to stand before. And every man's work is going to be tried to see what it's made out of. Is it going to be made out of wood, hay, and stubble that's just going to be burned up? 
which is going to be made out of gold, silver, and precious stones that'll last. Because there's only one opinion that counts, and that's God's opinion. We have to make a conscious effort to set those priorities. We're not just going to drift in the right direction. We have a tendency to do the exact opposite of that. If you're not intentional about making sure that those things are your priorities, then we're going to drift away from God. We're going to drift away from the things that are important. We're going to drift away from the stuff that matters. Everybody that knows you knows you love blank. What would they put in that blank? What would they say about you? I want to be remembered as a guy who had his priorities set in the right place and then live by those priorities. Love God, love your family, love your church in that order. Let everything else fall in place behind that. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. God, I thank you for making the word of God so clear to us, for giving us the road map, for giving us the directions, for giving us exactly what we need. And I pray that if there is somebody in here that, number one, does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they'd get that settled today. But if there is somebody in here that does not have their priorities right, and every one of us likes to think that we do. Every one of us likes to think that we say God, family, church. Every one of us likes to think that we think that those things are important. But I pray that you help every one of us to really look at our lives and see, are these the things that are the most important in my life, or have I put other things in that place? If other things are in that place, then God, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength and the determination to change those things so that the things that are the most important will be what we put the emphasis on in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to be effective for you until you come back. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I know most of the people that are here this morning have been coming at least for some amount of time this is not your first time here you've heard this message before the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ but perhaps you've been putting it off too shy too embarrassed too stubborn I don't know but perhaps that's you this morning and perhaps it's time perhaps it's time to just finally give in and accept Jesus Christ as your savior I'm going to tell you this, one of these days you're going to wake up and it's going to be too late. And your stubbornness or your shyness or your pride or whatever it is is going to have hindered you from accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and you won't have another opportunity. This is your opportunity right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you come forward this morning, let somebody take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure, get that settled, get it taken care of. But if you are saved, where are your priorities? Is your emphasis on making money? You know if it is or not. Now you may not give that, you may not give that impression to people who are on the outside, but is your emphasis in your own heart, in your own life on making money? Is it on furthering your career? Is it on building a portfolio that'll be here in 200 years from now? Is it? Because you know if it is or not. You know where your priorities are. And that's where you need to be honest with yourself and honest with the Holy Spirit and answer that question. 
Perhaps we could even phrase the message this morning to say everybody who doesn't really know me doesn't know that I love fill in the blank. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, and I pray that he has, then you come forward and get that taken care of this morning. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You come. Don't let pride keep you back from making a decision that you know you ought to make. Uh, what's people going to think about me if I go forward? They're going to think that I don't have my priorities straight. Maybe. Number one, nobody should be looking around anyway. So they shouldn't be thinking that. But number two, if you need to get that right, get it right. If you need to get it taken care of, it shouldn't matter what other people think about you. If that's all you're worried about, then your priorities are in the wrong place. Because it's what God thinks about me. That's the most important thing. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. I, I know that um, obviously we should be in the house of God, but you can choose to be anywhere you want to be, and you can choose to go to any church that you want to go to. So I appreciate you coming here this morning, and I trust you got something from the message. Well, we'll close in prayer, and then once we do, we'll sing our song and we'll be dismissed. All right. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the service that we've been able to have this morning. God, I pray that you just continue to speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in our lives. And God, I pray that you help us to be Christians that are effective in your service. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick reminder before we sing that song, sign up for the contest, for the, the soup and the dessert, and then also sign up if you're planning to be here on that last Sunday uh, for the Harvest Festival, and then also... Take a look at those birdhouses out there and get with uh, Brother Craig if you are interested in, uh, in getting one of those that will help the building fund. All right, here we go. Each one can reach one. As we follow after Christ, we all can lead one. We can lead one to the Savior. And together we can tell the world that Jesus is the way if we each 
one, reach one. Amen. You're dismissed.